Good morning, Crosspoint downtown. How are we? Good. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. But that's okay. You're in church. It's okay to lie to your pastor on Sunday. Um, so um, for those of you who are new here, my name's Ryan, and uh, it is really my honor um, to be one of the pastors here at Crosspoint downtown. Um, I really believe there's a powerful word that God has for us this morning, and, and I, I have to believe that every Sunday, but there's something that I think is going to really stick to us this week. There's something that's really powerful uh, there with us. So b- before we get into the Word, I-, I wanted to give just a quick financial update. So we're uh, just finished January of 2020, and um, Crosspoint Downtown last year, 2019 budget year. By the way, if you're our guest, you can put your earplugs in for a little while. This is a family talk. You can listen in as well. Um, but uh, last year, January uh, 2000, or for the year of 2019, we were almost met budget, so we were like $400 short. Um, our total budget for the 2019 year was $180,000. Um, and so our 2020 budget is the same uh, number, which is, means it's a $15,000 uh, monthly expectation that we get for the budget. Uh, typically, December is our, one of our largest months of giving, uh, and that has been the case um, every year I've been here. And uh, January is also one of our, our uh, least uh, amount of giving that comes in. So I wanted you to see these numbers. You see, 2019, we were about $2,000 short of budget. 2020, we're about $3,000 short of budget. It's pretty normal, pretty typical for the life of the church to have um, uh, months that are over budget, months that are under budget. But Part of what I wanted to communicate in this family talk is that uh, we want you to pray. We want you to help. We want you to give. We want you to be a part of this. There's a lot riding on this year. Uh, We did bring Pastor Josiah on full-time as our associate pastor to oversee worship and operations. And so that was a big step that we took. Uh, We did that in knowing that there are some reserves that we're going to have to dip into, dive into, in order to make that happen. But we have a two-year plan that we're going to grow into that. So it means that when we're short budget, we really feel it. Um, And so I want you to be aware of that, to know that. And then I want you to ask uh, that you would give uh, and be a part of this with us. So um, if we were to simply kind of based upon 50 units of giving at Crosspoint downtown, if the average household income for Orlando is $60,000, which it's, I think, about 65, um, and then that reflected in our church body, if everyone gave 6%, we would meet our budget goal for the year. If everyone gave 7%, um, that would meet uh, not only our budget goal, in fact, that would meet the entirety of that budget, and we would experience no shortfall uh, in terms of our staffing with Pastor Josiah, and we would meet that goal. And so I want to I challenge you towards that, but I, w- I don't want to challenge you towards that and saying, hey, this is all about money, because really, hey, this is all about Jesus. Um, Jesus, uh, we have this picture of the work of Christ in our lives and in our hearts where Paul says these words, Uh, If you have the slide, I put it on the screen here. Uh, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The ultimate motivation of generosity and giving is not about what you do, but it's about what Christ has done for you. And so far from me wanting to give anyone guilt or uh, trying to get everybody to be motivated by morality. 
uh, I want you to simply look at the truth that says in Jesus Christ, he has given everything to you, more than you need for this life. And out of the abundance of his generosity to you, would you be a generous people? So how can you participate? Uh, Let me just say three ways we can grow in the grace of giving. Number one, just start somewhere. If you haven't started, start somewhere. Uh, Pocket change, wherever it is. Ultimately, this is my heart. We don't need your money. We don't. Uh, We believe that God will meet our needs in abundance. He has, he will, whether you are a part of this or not. But we believe that it's a wonderful opportunity that you have to be a part of it. So start somewhere. Second thing is, is give generously and sacrificially. Maybe you've started, but I want you to ask the question, am I giving generously and sacrificially and with joy? And then finally, I want you all to join the work, uh, that we would be 100% engaged on this. My firm conviction is not necessarily about the amount, but 100% participation. I believe if we have 100% participation, we will far surpass the need that we have, and then we'll be able to be a more generous church to the community around us. So with that, I want to pray for our time, and let's dive into the Word of God. Father, thank you so much that your Word here meets us where we're at in life. Lord, um, there, there is not a person that is immune to a passage like this, because we all have endured pain, we've all endured affliction, and we've all endured suffering. And so, Lord, I ask that you would meet us where we're at today, whether we've been through it, whether we've gone through it, whether we're in the middle of it, I don't know, Lord. You know where everyone's at, but Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts in towards you. We would feel your nearness, and as a church, we would be compelled to bless you no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you need a scripture journal, so I'm going to hand these out. uh, I have uh, Mary hand these out for us. If you need a scripture journal, uh, would you raise your hand? If you haven't got a scripture journal yet, raise your hand. Okay, great. Mary's going to bring those around. And so uh, if you have your Bible or your scripture journal, open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 3 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I want you to do three things in our reading today uh, that we typically don't do. Uh, I'm going to give you permission. You can underline in your Bible or you can underline in your scripture journal. Um, but I want, to, I want us to do three things. Uh, I want us to circle the word comfort every time you see the word comfort or some variation of comfort. I also want you to uh, underline the word suffering or affliction or a variation of that word. You'll see the word suffer, affliction. Um, And and then also, uh, I want you to make a squiggly line. I didn't know what else to call it, a wavy line, squiggly line, uh, under the word deliver or deliverance. So let's read this together. And while we're doing that, you can uh, make those underlines. By the way, this is our gift to you um, if you uh, have not had one. uh, And we look forward to you using that as we use it together. So Paul uh, writes here at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And as we share, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, 
so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you suffer, uh, I'm sorry, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the death sentence, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises from the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessed granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. So if you look at what you just marked up, you've probably marked up your passage pretty good, right? There's a lot of words that are underlined or circled or the squiggly line there. Let me, let me give you the, the main point, the big idea of today's passage, and you'll see it just by what's in the text there, how uh, I came to this main point. And the main point is this, the God of comfort comforts us in affliction so that we may be able to comfort others and together put our hope in him for deliverance. That's the big idea that I'm going to unpack through this passage. When you think about the word comfort, what do you think about? Think about comfort for a minute. Where does your mind take you? So my mind takes me to the cabbage rolls my mom made this past week for me. They were really good. Anybody ever had cabbage rolls before? If you haven't, they're just one of the most marvelous meals you could ever eat. It is going to be on the buffet of heaven. Somehow it's going to be there. So I, when, when I think about cabbage rolls, I, I, my mind goes to this nostalgic childhood memory of this big pot on the stove, and mom has been laboring over these cabbage rolls with her love and tenderness and care, and they are just stewing in that red tomato sauce, that red gravy, right? So good. And then she's got this red smashed potatoes that she's made as well with fresh cut pole green beans seasoned with onions and bacon. Now this is a marvelous meal. And so picture it all on a plate and you just take a bite and you enjoy the wonderful comfort of that comfort food. It is mama's love in your belly, right? It is really good. Or maybe for you, you think of the word comfort and you think about it's a cold Saturday morning and I'm just going to snuggle up in my bed and I'm going to have that blanket on. Netflix is on and there is no time that I have to worry about and I could just keep on watching as long as I want and that's comfort, that's enjoyment. Or, or maybe it's, it's you're transported into the beachside and you have the warm sun and the nice breeze and you hear the lapping ocean waves hitting the sand and you think for a moment after reading a book that you're a little bit tired so you simply place the book down and take a nap that might be comfort for you now are those things comfort yes they're comfort now are those things the comfort that Paul is talking about here not entirely in fact it's far from it 
Let me read to you the way uh, author and pastor N.T. Wright talks about this word comfort. He says, the whole idea of the word is that one person is being with another, speaking words which change their mood and situation, giving them courage, new hope, new direction, new insights, which will alter the way they face the next moment, the next day, the rest of their lives. And when you put all that together in a bottle and you shake it up, and you pour it out for someone in a moment of deep suffering, the best word we can come up with to describe that effect is probably comfort. If we said console or consolation, that would pick up another aspect of it. But when you console someone, you bring them back, to, you bring them back from utter despair to ordinary unhappiness. The word Paul uses here over and over does more than that. It meets people where they are, and it brings them right on to the point where they're strong enough to see new hope, new possibilities, and new ways forward. Comfort. Now, I, I don't know if you've had that point in your life of, of utter despair, utter helplessness, utter hopelessness. But the word that Paul wants us to, to feel now, to feel in that time of suffering that feels so, so hard, I, we don't even know if we can endure it, is a word that says there's new direction ahead. There's a new day tomorrow. There's new possibilities. There is a future that awaits you. And so you have to have your eyes fixed on where comfort truly come from, comes from. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here through this text is that comfort is not about something that we get when we look to the left or the right or the world around us. But comfort is something that we get when we look up vertically from God. That's the source of comfort. He is the one who is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. And so it means that we can't find comfort in the created things of this world to take away or ease the burden of our sufferings. But it means that when we vertically look up, we have a God who draws near, who meets us where we're at. And he takes that word, not just with the word, but with his very life. And he offers us new direction, new hope, new possibilities, and a sure future that is in him. So let's look at this God of comfort. There's an argument, an underlining argument that Paul is trying to dismantle to the church of Corinth. Last week, I gave you a little context of the church of Corinth, and I said that the church of Corinth was probably the biggest problem church that Paul had, right? They were, in 1 Corinthians, you see that they were uh, getting gluttonously full off of the communion bread, and they were getting drunk off the communion wine. You see that there's sexual indiscretion that he has to call out, that it seems like, why, why would you have to call this out in, in the church, in the people of God? There's all these different things that tr Paul is trying to address. And in 2 Corinthians, we read the address that the, the church of Corinth, many of them have rejected Paul's authority as an apostle, someone who is laying firm doctrine and foundation for the church, someone who planted the church by the preaching of the gospel for the salvation of those who are in the church. Now they're rejecting him on the basis of the outward things that are happening or have happened in Paul's life. They're saying that Paul 
should not be an apostle. Paul is not qualified to be an apostle based on some of these superficial things. The superficial thing here specifically that the apostle Paul is dismantling is that because Paul has suffered so much, because he's been through so much suffering, pain, and affliction, his body bears the marks of his suffering. You could see it in his disfigured face. That meant somehow, because of that suffering, that the Apostle Paul could never have received the blessing of God. Because in this ancient culture, suffering wasn't a sign of God's blessing, but it was a sign of God's divine displeasure. And so somehow Paul was not qualified to be an apostle or speak into the church. But here the Apostle Paul says precisely the opposite. And he doesn't do so by hitting the argument directly. He does so by pointing them to the God of comfort. He says, no, my suffering is directly related to the nature and character of who God is because God is a God of comfort. He draws near in our sufferings. In fact, Paul would make the argument that he would not know who God was without his sufferings. And his sufferings show him the nature and character of the God of comfort who draws near in his afflictions. Now this makes us uncomfortable. As a people in Western society, we work really hard to try to avoid pain and discomfort in every single way possible, don't we? We do. I mean, if we're going to the dentist, it's like, put me out, just put me out. I don't want to, like, you could just... Don't, just give me, the, give me the juice and make me go to sleep and pretend it never happened, right? We, we really want to avoid pain, affliction, or discomfort because we're so afraid of suffering. But what Paul says is that if we avoid pain and suffering and affliction, which, by the way, is unavoidable, if we seek to avoid that, then we miss out on something truly spectacular. And that's that God is close to us in that pain. He's near us in that pain. And God's nearness to us in that pain is a blessing that we experience in the pain. Pain isn't a curse. Paul's sufferings isn't a curse. It's not a sign of God's divine displeasure. In fact, God's anointing through the apostle Paul came through his sufferings. Paul is known as the suffering apostle. C.S. Lewis describes it pretty well about how we treat God as it relates to pain and suffering and discomfort. He says, we regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It's there for emergencies, but he hoped he'll never have to use it. Right? When you jump out of that airplane, which I've never done before, no way, Josiah has, crazy man. Um, but when you jump out of that airplane, you really hope you, you, you don't have to use it. You don't have to use what you know is going to save your life. But it's there. It's there. Not just there if you need it. It's there because you have to have it. And if you don't have it, you're dead. But sometimes we regard God in the same way. We think, you know what, do I have to use him? Does he have to be there? Can I do this in my own strength and just kind of put God in the, in the, in the side corner and, and think that on the periphery of my life, if sometimes I need him, I'll go to him? But God uses sufferings and pains to show us 
that he's there and you need him regardless. And in that time of suffering, it shows us so much that God is present and he's active in our lives. I don't know about you, but I tend not to see this when everything's going well. When the world's going well and things are going according to my plan, who do I miss out on? The, the God of the universe, whose plan is perfect. And I am missing because everything is going my way. And God is not content with that for any of his children to go through life as if he doesn't exist. But God wants for his children to know and be acutely aware of his presence and power in all of their life, in his sovereignty over all things. And so he'll use suffering and pain and affliction as a tool to get us to look up instead of to our left and to our right. We see this in the history of the Bible in the whole Old Testament. The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even in our deepest, darkest hour where our breath is leaving our body, it says that God is right there with you. Isaiah 49, 13 says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. God uses suffering as an opportunity to show his compassion, to show how loving and caring he is. Those pains help us see a part of God that we would never experience had we not gone through that suffering and pain. For we do not want you, or Paul says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. There's a truth here that is a principle that we should always remember. No matter how much your sufferings might increase, no matter how great your afflictions might be, God's comfort is greater. So God's comfort is greater than any affliction. That's what Paul is saying in this passage. His comfort is greater than any affliction. And I don't want to pretend that no one has faced deep and troubling afflictions in this life. And you might be in it right now. I don't want to be trite with those things and say, oh, God is a God of comfort. He's going to get you through it. I want to believe that in the depths of my soul as I preach to you about the sovereignty of God in the midst of the trials you're going through right now. I can say to you with a firm and established conviction that God's comfort is greater than that affliction. It's greater. It's greater than that trial. It's greater than that suffering. Whether you're enduring it now or a decade from now, it's greater. And you should never forget that because no matter how great the affliction, the comfort is always greater. The next thing we see here in verses four through seven is that God is calling you and I to be a conduit of comfort for others who are suffering. A conduit of, co of comfort. We're a channel by which those who are going through suffering are to experience God's comfort through us because the God who is there in our afflictions and pains 
is the God who is there for them or those that are around us <coughs> in their afflictions and pains. We tend to ask two questions when we go through suffering. Number one, why me? Number two, does anyone care? Those are the two questions that come to our mind most naturally when we go through sufferings. Here we have Paul saying something very different. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse four, the God who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which, we, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So the big idea of this, of being a conduit of comfort is that there's a solidarity that we experience together in our sufferings. There's a oneness that we experience. Thank you, Ryan. You are the better Ryan for sure. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Mm. This chest congestion has been with me for a while. Um, you're suffering with me, right? We're, can, thank you for that comfort. That was comfort, Ryan. She was putting the message to action there. She's like, I'm suffering. You need some water. Um, so um, um, we, we have a solidarity in the sufferings that we face together. And the solidarity isn't that when you suffer, I suffer. It, doesn't, it is that, but it's greater than that. It's that Christ has suffered, and we have solidarity with him. And because he suffered, and we have solidarity with his suffering, we can have solidarity or unity with the sufferings of others. So it really means, very honestly, that when someone here suffers, we all suffer. When someone here is comforted, we're all comforted. Because we're a part of the family, or the body of Christ. There's an experience of oneness that we share in the sufferings of others. This is why it's important that we're honest about our real trials in life with our community around us and our church family. Is because we are a family. It's not just language that we use. It, it, it's real flesh and blood because we've been brought together by the sufferings in the blood of Christ. It means that we share in one another's pains and trials and hurts. And when they're comforted and God is bringing them that comfort, that comfort is shared and experienced by me as well as it is you. And I've been with people in life's most ugly circumstances, whether it's relational pain, it's physical pain or sickness or even death. And I've experienced the suffering that they've suffered as they've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, maybe even in the death of a, or a loss of a relationship. Not necessarily a death, but a physical loss of a relationship that's so painful it feels like death. And I've been with them through that trial. And I've shared those sufferings and those sleepless nights with them. And I've woken up with the thought of them on my heart and in my prayers. Has that ever happened with you with somebody? Because it should. It should. We need to experience that, that, that solidarity with one another, with our community groups, with our church family, with those who are a part of the household of God. Christina Fox writes, 
The story of gospel comfort in 2 Corinthians reminds us that we're all united to Christ and that where he is at work in one of us, it affects all of us. The comfort God gives, however, isn't for us alone. We can't hoard it. The ways the gospel has changed us must be shared. The truth of who Christ is and what he has done must be voiced. This is where sometimes shame and guilt get in the way of us being the church because a lot of times the pain comes because of our own sin and shortcomings and faults. And so we don't want to voice that God has redeemed us and delivered us out of those things because it means that we have to confess that we're flawed and sinful human beings. It's okay because Christ shed his blood for that sin. (laughs) And so you can be honest about your deepest sorrows and struggles and hurts with your church family and the world around you because it's through you being honest about those things and having received the comfort of God that you get to be a channel or a conduit of comfort for those who are hurting. That if you don't share the way God has comforted you in suffering, they might miss out on the way God can comfort them in their suffering. Love one another as Christ, as God in Christ has loved you. And that means being honest with what God has done in your life because the nature of the gospel says there is no more guilt, there is no more shame, there is no more condemnation. All of those things are just a page in God's lesson book for us to learn from, right? We get to learn from those and grow from those and experience comfort with one another. So rather than asking, why me? Or does anyone care? I want you to ask this question. Who else? Who else? Who else, Lord, is going through something that I can be honest with about my own comfort and sufferings? Who else, Lord? This is an important question for us to ask because God can use you. In fact, God will use you if during those times of pain, The question you ask is, who else? Who else needs to hear and experience the comforting power and presence of God in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? And Paul says, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. His hope is unshaking because the foundation of his hope is found in his solidarity and his oneness with the sufferings of Christ. And then next, the divine, the divine design of affliction, verses 8 through 11. Um, I mentioned earlier how in our Western American culture, there's a, an avoidance of pain. And uh, I saw this illustrated as I was on my walk with my daughter Lily last week. We had Hash out for a walk. Hash is my dog, by the way. Um, I always feel like I have to explain. I didn't name him Hash. That was the name that we got for him at the pound. And so it just stuck with him. All right. So Hash, the dog. Um, and so we were out uh, walking Hash in the neighborhood. And, um, and one of the, the neighbors came by and, um, and had his, his dog with him and um, and. Uh, Lily just, she gets around my neighbor Dennis and she just likes to have a nice conversation. You can kind of pull out a chair and, you know, get comfortable and have a cup of coffee. And that's the conversation Lily likes to have with my neighbor, my neighbor Dennis or any of you all. She just loves talking and uh, people hearing about her life. 
And so as they're talking, uh, she, she shares with Dennis that she recently had the flu. I don't know how we got around to the conversation. Uh, maybe she just inserted it in an awkward moment. I had the flu last month. Um, and he says, really, you had the flu? You didn't get a flu shot. And she looked with horror at him like, are you serious about this? A flu shot? And she said, what's a flu shot? And he said, well, you know, they, they give you a shot so you don't get the flu. And she said, does it hurt? And he says, well, not as bad as the flu. And she said, well, they have to poke you? Yeah, they have to poke you. And she's like, I don't like that. No way I'm getting a flu shot. And he says, well, okay. And so <laughs> we parted ways. And she looked at me after that. And she said, is this a real thing, a flu shot? And she's like, that's crazy. There is no way on planet Earth that I am getting a flu shot. And I'm like, you're right, Lily, me either. Um, <laughs> whether you agree with a flu shot or not, there's a principle within what uh, Lily has experienced is that oftentimes we'll avoid a lesser pain and receive a greater pain. And if we just, if we just, receive the lesser pain, maybe we wouldn't go through the greater pain because we're so afraid of pain. Now, there's a really great pain that the Apostle Paul wants us to know about. And the really great pain that he wants to know us about is the pain of the finality of death and eternal life without God and out of his presence and not forever with him in heaven. Will the Christian life cause pain? Yes, it will. Will the Christian life cause grief? Yes, it will. In fact, Paul's life of suffering was greater as a Christian than if he wasn't a Christian. But Paul endured suffering so that he could endure eternity in the glory of a pain-free life in eternity with God in heaven without sufferings. And so it's really important that we understand that the pain of God leads to the deliverance of God. And that's part of God's design in affliction is that pain through suffering shows us Christ who in turn gives us deliverance from all suffering for now and for all eternity and forever. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So Paul is giving just a small snippet, the small example of his own sufferings. We don't know what the suffering was. We know that in, uh, in a lot of Paul's writings, he declares his sufferings. In Ephesus, for example, he stood against the idols of the iron guilds because they were fashioning these false gods. And he preached against the false gods by which these craftsmen, these blacksmiths, were making their living. And so they rose up against him and had him beat to a pulp and he almost died. We know that was a real experience of Paul's suffering. We know that Paul was lashed that the skin was taken off of his back and that that experience itself could have been a near-death experience. This experience, we don't know what it was, but we know that it was beyond what he could bear. We know that it was, it was something that was so significant that he despised of life itself. We know that it was so significant that he felt that through that suffering, through that affliction, he had received the sentence of death. 
And so he uses this as a moment of instruction, not only for the church, but also for himself. Here's why. Here's why he went through that suffering. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The purpose of Paul's sufferings was that it would break this sinful self-reliance that the great apostle still had that was alive in his heart. It's hard to believe, right? That that self-reliance would still exist in the apostle's life, that he would still have even that ounce of pride that caused him to think that his life was in his own hands. And, he, and God brought Paul to this near-death experience so that Paul would be very okay with death that he would be very okay with not trying to pull a play from his own strength for survival. He took every instinct of survival away from Paul. And the only thing that Paul had to grab onto for life was the God who raises the dead. Earlier in the song that we sang, I loved it as Bobby sang it. Jesus is our champion and he's alive today. We have a God who raises the dead. That he is still in that business The reason why we can have hope of deliverance is because the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that resurrection says everything about Christianity. If you don't believe it, you might as well not worry about it. If you don't believe in the resurrection or the resurrection is not true, then we're dead and we have no hope. But if Jesus is our champion, then he will raise us up with him. And this is the truth of the resurrection, that we might not cling to ourselves or rely on ourselves, but that way we may let go of everything that we think that we are entitled to as human beings. And we might hold on to the God of comfort who promises us deliverance yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It means that you might go through financial troubles and God might deliver you out of those financial troubles. It means that you might have illness or sickness or episodes of of health issues in life and God might deliver you through those things. It also means that he might not, but it does mean that ultimately you will be delivered on that day of darkness that the rest of the world will suffer. It will be a day of glory and light for you because the hope of the gospel rests in the fact that Jesus rose again. Happy Easter, Crosspoint. Happy Easter. This is good news. This is good news for you because you're going to have trials tomorrow. You're going to have it next month. You're going to have it next year. You're going to have them. And it means that God's going to use that as an opportunity to deliver you. Even in death, he's going to deliver you. For he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. I have this image that's burned into my mind related to suffering and deliverance. And it happened just a few weeks ago. My grandma Walker has been through so much in uh, this life in the last three years. 2017, my uncle Keith passed away. 2019, my dad, her son, died, losing both of her living sons. And then to start off 2020, on January 19th, her husband, Grandpa Cecil, passed away. It's hard, even if you're an 85-year-old woman, it's hard. Suffering does not get easier as you get older, I'm just telling you, it doesn't. It gets harder. But there's this image, and it's this image right here, before my grandpa passed away, where grandma is holding on to this man, and she is ministering to him 
in his final moments the comfort of God in pain and affliction. She sang this old gospel song. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that'll be. What a day that'll be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, a glorious day that'll be. She had her hope in the God of deliverance as she was ministering to her husband that final hope, which was not a final hope. Yes, it was in this life, but it was an ushering him from her hand to his as he was delivered over from pain, sickness, sin, and death forever. And just as true of him will be true of us until Christ, unless Christ comes and gets us before that happens. But I'm ready. I'm ready for the God of deliverance to take me from this earth, this world, and deliver me again through the promise of the resurrection because my champion is there and he will deliver me again. And he'll deliver you. And so that's why we pray. We pray because it's not about us, but about him. And so Paul, it was not selfish in asking for prayers because he needed them just as I need your prayers, just as we need the prayers of each other, which is why I want you to take the envelope, the giving envelope. You don't have to put money in it, but you can write your prayer requests because I want to know where you're suffering right now. I want to know where I could pray for you. I want to know where our church could pray for you. I want you to write that down for us so that we can experience in solidarity the sufferings of Christ together. How can we pray for you? That we would, in through our prayers, receive the, bl the blessing granted through us by the prayers of many. That ultimately, this is not about us getting glory. This is about God giving glory because he is the one who hears our prayers and delivers us from all of our afflictions. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the grace and comfort we've received in Jesus today. That Holy Spirit, I really believe that there has been comfort that you've, that you've given to us in our trials. That God, we leave here not, God, in terms of an, uh, an unhappiness or consolation, as N.T. Wright said, from going from bad to just a little bit better. No, we leave here today with a new and bright future ahead of us. One in which we know we'll experience trials. One in which we know we'll experience affliction. One in which we know we'll endure sufferings. But one in which you hold us fast. And one in which you will deliver us again. All because the hope that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again. And the church says together, amen. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship through song?